Family's good to be home. Good to see you guys. Um, I have the privilege and the honor your pastors asked me to uh, bring the word today, uh, which was good. Except they made one big mistake. They let me preach about whatever I wanted to preach about. <laughs> so today we are going to be speaking uh, on a subject. I titled this message. I got to write this title because you got to remember this. I titled this message, Grapes, Giants, Milk, and Honey. Should be easy remembering. Grape, Giants, Milk, and Honey. You'll see why in a second. But before that, let me tell you something that most of y'all should remember. I'm a sports fan, basketball fan also, especially football and basketball. And even though we had some lean years, and now we're kind of doing a little better, I'm a fan of the hometown team. And we had a glorious period of time when LeBron James brought his talents to South Beach. And um, we were competing for championships every year. Well, for those of you who may not know the story, LeBron James comes to Miami Heat. He joins Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, who was already here, who re-signed, formed the big three, big hoopla, and they're expected to win, you know, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, whatever number it was, of championships. So the first year of the big three, they did not win. They got to the finals. They lose in the finals. Disappointment. Next year, they win it. Great. Now, year number three, was the best of those years. The team won 66 games out of a total of 82. They went on a 27-game winning streak during that year, which was crazy. They blew through Eastern Conference, no problem, get to the finals. But in the finals against the San Antonio Spurs, they encountered a little bit of an issue. They're down three games to two. Whoever wins four games wins the whole thing come to Miami, play game number six, and this is what happens. Should the Spurs foul? Should Miami go for the three right away? Just attack the basket. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. His three-pointer. The officials are going to review to see if Allen was behind the line. Chris Bosh with the huge offensive rebound. So, the Heat down three points. Less than 10 seconds left in the game. If they miss the shot, they not only lose the game, they lose the series, don't win the championship. Well, Ray Allen made one of the most famous shots in the history of basketball. But here's the interesting thing. Although this is such a famous shot, I think many of us remember it. If you're a sports fan whatsoever, you remember this shot. I mean, we were going bananas when it happened. All it did was tie the game. So that they can go to overtime and still have to win the overtime to win the game in game six so that they can play another game and win the game to win the championship. Hmm. 
I'm going to parlay that into the message for today. Let me give you a quick history of what we're going to be reading in the scripture and the people of Israel. God promises the land of Canaan, the land that flows with milk and honey, one part of your title, to Abraham, and then promises Abraham's son Isaac, and then promises Isaac's son Jacob, and it said, you will be given this land. The people then spent 400 years building a nation in Egypt as slaves. They cry out to God and say, hey, you promised us. And God says, you're right. So he sends Moses to go liberate the people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. Along the way, they witness God bring plagues upon Egypt that forces the Pharaoh to let them go. Pharaoh changes his mind, chases them down. God allows them to cross the Red Sea on dry land. They flow through the wilderness. While they're in the wilderness, God gives them food. He gives them shelter. He gives them light. And now they're at, they get to the doorsteps, the doorsteps of the promised land. Eleven days, they get to the doorstep of the promised land. And then they have an epic fail. So they wander 40 more years in the desert. And now they're back to where they started, at the doorstep of the promised land. And here's where we pick up the story in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Now Moses is addressing the, cr the crowd. He's giving them a recap. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what happened. The last 40 years, he's reminding them about this, this the situation. He's like, look, look. The Lord God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Moses, we got it. We know we're going to take the land. But before, but before we do that, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us by the way we should go up and of the cities into which shall come. The plan pleased me well, Moses tells him. So I took 12 of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. That fruit was grapes. Another part of your title. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. You know how dramatic people get. The, the cities are so fortified, they're up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakin there. The Anakin were a race of giants that existed at the time. Their average height was seven and a half feet. 
Then I said to you, Moses is like, yo, y'all remember what I said to y'all? Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet, for all of that, you did not believe the Lord your God. See, the problem that they had, which is the problem that we have many times, is that they chose fear over faith. When we're choosing fear over faith, you know what happens? We use pretexts to our obedience. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do that, but first. Now, we got you, God. We're going to cross the mountain, but first. Let's send some spies into the land. So, you know, once they go, they're going to tell us which way we should go and, like, you know, how everything looked. Come on now. They didn't want to go. So they were looking for an excuse to not obey. They set pretexts about it. They're like, well, you know, well, let's see, you know, because uh, if, if, you know, if it don't look too good, then we're, we're going we're gonna to just say no. Because many times we're looking for justification for our fears. We're looking for reasons for why we should be afraid and why we should disobey. Our fear then leads to disobedience. And here's the thing, like, at the end of the day, all disobedience flows from a lack of faith. And all true obedience springs from faith. Number two, they chose to complain in their tents. They lived in tents. So therefore, they chose to complain in their homes. Well, you know, I know the pastors wanted me to do that, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure because why they put me in that place if I wanted to serve in this ministry and they put so-and-so to do that when she would not really know how to do that and I could really do it better, but they didn't want to tell me, so I'm not going to say nothing. But you're complaining in your tent. And you know, the funny thing is that many times we complain about the very thing that we ask God for. Okay, so let's recap here. Um, you were slaves in Egypt. You prayed to God to free you from Egypt because you're being oppressed by the Egyptians. God sends Moses. Yadarniel killed Moses. You're out of Egypt. You're mad. You want to return to Egypt. Because you don't want to go into the promised land that God said he would give you. Huh. Interesting. Many times like we pray about the, we complain about the very things we prayed about. Pray for a husband. Pray for a wife. Two years in, complaining about the husband. Complaining about the wife. Pray for kids. Complain about the kids. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Pray for the job. Mad because the job is making you work. It's a job. That's what you're technically actually supposed to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ministry. Oh, Lord, I want you to use me. Man, them people just want to use me. Really? 
because that's exactly what you prayed for. But mad because you feel like you're being used? Huh. Interesting. You know, and then they start believing the worst about God. Because instead of thinking, wow, like God is doing this for us, they actually start thinking like God is out to get them. Because the Lord hates us, they said. He brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites so they could destroy us. Nah, fools, he brought you out of Egypt because y'all were complaining about Egypt. You were getting beat like a Hebrew slave because that's what you were. He brought you out of Egypt to send you to the land that he promised that he would send you to that you asked to go to. Huh. Why is God doing this to me? God forgot about me. Oh, things are so bad. I don't see any way out. Hmm. Oh, what God promised me hasn't happened the way that I want it to happen. Because that's a big one. God decides to do it some way, and that's not the way we wanted him to do it. So now we're mad because he's doing the thing he told us, except that he's doing it the way he wants to do it, not the way we want it done. Yeah, it's a tough one. God's like, I'm going to give you the promised land. And they're like, yeah, but there are giants there and there are cities. Okay, so let me get this straight. I told you I'm going to send you to a land that flows milk and honey. Um, and yes, it has grapes. And yes, there's giants living there. But guess what? Instead of thinking that they built the cities that you're just going to move into, because all you got to do is come move, like you wanted to walk into nothing, how would it flow milk and honey if it had nothing? But no, but see, that's not what they wanted. So God is honoring his promise, but it wasn't the way that they wanted it to be. Mm. That's a tough one, huh? That is a tough one. To complain shows a false belief about God. It means that ultimately we think that God is not good or that he cannot be trusted. Three, so they chose to think the worst of the situation. The worst. Verse 25, they took some fruit of the land, so they got the grapes in their hands, brought it down to us, and they brought it back, brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God has given us, just like he said. But then verse 28, they're saying, but where can we go? Where, where are we going to go? Because our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying the people are greater and taller than we the cities are great and fortified up to heaven moreover we have seen the sons of the Anakin there notice that in that complaint nobody mentioned the land the thing that God promised here's a, here's a reason why the faithful use the news to claim God's promises those talked about the grapes. The fearful used the news to disclaim God's promises. Those focused on the giants. Fourth, and this one I find really, really interesting because we do this a lot. They chose to blame others for their disobedience. 
well, God, you know, I would have served you, but you know, Pookie and them, because they didn't want me to do it. You know, I had a ministry that God wanted, but they didn't want me to do it. Who's they? Who's they? Don't blame they, them, he, she, we. Blame me. <laughs> they chose to blame others for their disobedience. Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Nah, y'all were afraid. <laughs> you got your own hearts discouraged. <laughs> Five. They chose to forget what God had already done. Let's rewind the story. God picks a guy out of nothing. Says, go over to that land over there. I'm going to show you. Everything that your eye can see, I'm going to promise to you and your descendants. Says the same thing to that guy's son. Who says the same thing to that guy's son. Then the people go to Egypt, spend 400 years, become a nation, million plus strong. God sends another guy to go save them out of there, to take them to the land that he promised to the first guy 450 years before. Oh, to get there, you had to escape the most powerful kingdom on earth at the time. And you did it with the guy came with a stick and did signs and wonders to get you out of there. Same stick was used to help you cross the Red Sea on dry land. Oh, and by the way, when you cross the Red Sea, right after that, the Red Sea swallowed up the Egyptian army that was chasing you. Oh, we forgot that part. And then you're in the wilderness, and God sends bread from heaven, but that's not good enough because you got tired of the bread. It must not have been pan creole because, you know, you never get tired of that Haitian bread. Oh, that Haitian bread is so good. Especially when it's warm and you get some milk with it. You know how it goes. So they got mad about that. They didn't want the bread anymore alone. God sends them little birds so they can have some meat. Sends a cloud to cover them by day so that their sun, the sun doesn't beat on them because they're in the desert, remind you, again. And a pillar of fire at night so they can have some light. I don't know what they were doing at night, but whatever they were doing, they needed some light. Same God. Okay, you forgot about all of that. Same God says, okay, cool. Oh, oh, yeah, and you need the water in the desert. It's a desert. By definition, there's no water. And he gave them water. Not once, not twice, three or four different occasions so you forgot all of this saying god now is telling you go check out the land oh by the way there's big old grapes yes there's big old people but there's also big old grapes they forgot what god had already done you know what happens though i think many times we confuse god's provision for us as an acknowledgement that we don't have to fulfill the promise that God had for us. See, they thought, well, God is feeding us here. He's giving us shelter here. We stray here. Why do we got to go into the promised land? How about the fact that that was the whole point of your journey? The whole point of your journey was to get to the promised land. But you thought because God was helping you on your journey there, that the journey was the destination? Oh, 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 so you thought that getting saved was your destination. Uh, yeah, you need that step in your journey, but that is not your destination. That is not the full fulfillment of God's promise for your life. Now, don't get it wrong. The wilderness must be explored. They had to go through the wilderness. Absolutely. 
but that wasn't their final stop. But they thought because God had blessed them there that it was comfortable enough for them to stay there. So now on the border of the land of milk and honey, they're there. And, and this is a difficult thing that I'm about to say because many of us don't believe this way. But sometimes there are doors that God opens that if we don't go through them at that moment, that door closes and never opens again. See, we think because we're under grace, well, Jesus will let me pass on that one and I'll come back. No, God doesn't work that way. So, Moses goes back to telling him, this verse 32. Yet for all of that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you, search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way that you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And the Lord, not the pastor, not the leaders, the Lord heard the sounds of your words and was angry. And took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. But you know what they did? They were like, No, 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 God. No, we got it. We're going to do it now. So they get ready for battle. You can read the rest of the story in the following the verses after. No, 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 we're going to get ready for battle. Boom, boom, boom. They put on their stuff. They're going to go. We're going to climb the mountain. And God's like, Moses, Moses, tell them people, I ain't going to go with them. You better tell them I'm not going with them. They didn't listen. They climbed over the mountain. The Amorites beat the crap out of them. They had to run back into the wilderness. Then go spend the 40 years in the desert. When we have opportunities for obedience we have to remember that delayed obedience is disobedience well yeah I'm going to do that God I know but you know but first but first let me send some people into the land but first you know let me get past the middle school years because I'm having a rough time with my kids right now and you know but when I get past the middle school years I got you God well, look, you know, I'm trying to finish up that last year in school, but, you know, when I, when I get that bachelor's, I got you. But then you sign up for the master's and be like, okay, no, no, but seriously, now, God, when I finish the master's, I got you. Well, you know, I'm trying to transition jobs. Let me get settled in. When I get settled in, you know, and I understand how the company goes, whatever, then I'll dedicate the time that you want from me then. Yeah, yeah, God, no, I got you. But first. But first. Let me go handle that. Thing first. Hmm. So Israel blew their chance. That generation blew their chance. God's like, nope, we're not going to see the promised land. And then poor Moses, he gets mad at them, and God's like, no, you can't go either. After dealing with these people for 40 years in the desert, I feel bad for Moses. In life, though, we find ourselves consistently on the border of God's promises. And we have the opportunity to shape our future. Do we 
climb the mountain, cross over, conquer the Amorites, or do we do the, yeah, God, but first? We have the same choice as Israel. Same choice. And I think there's some major keys for milk and honey. Number one, be bold, not cowardly. Interesting that in the book that where God leaves us his word, the Bible, the last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. The last chapter in that book is chapter 21. And here there's a recap at the end of, at the end of days, at the end of time, on who makes it and who doesn't. And it's incredibly interesting because there's some obvious things that of the people that don't make it that get sent to eternal damnation that we would be like, oh, cool. But there's an interesting group of people that don't make it. You can read this at home. But in Revelation 21, verse 8, it starts by saying, but the cowardly and unbelieving and it goes on to say abominable, murders, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars will have their part in the lake of fire, which is the second death. But why does God start with the cowardly and the unbelieving? Could it be that having fear is something that is totally against having God? See, we chalk it up to, no, I was just afraid. God don't see it that way. God takes your fear as an insult. Because ultimately, you're not trusting him. He doesn't show mercy for fear. Right, do we need some more references to prove this? He doesn't show mercy for fear. Oh, yeah, but we're under grace. Oh, yeah? So why did Jesus call people to be his disciples? And they were like, no, I got you, Jesus, but first. You know, I got to go bury my parents. They just died. You know, Pookie and them. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, no, no. Let the dead bury the dead. Oh, whoever, whoever doesn't forsake mother, father, husband, brother, sister, child, for my sake is not worthy of carrying my cross. These are the words of Jesus. Ooh, ouch. Huh. God has no mercy for fear. Zero. Two, stop grumbling in your tents. You're not grumbling against whoever else you're grumbling against. You're grumbling against God. The Bible says that the Lord heard their words. Mm. Three, always think that God has your best in mind. And it's interesting to me because this is so easy to quote, but so difficult to believe that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. I think I know that, but do I really know, know that? 
four, stop blaming other people for your fears and mistakes. Israel was like, well, you know, our brethren came and they told us, you know, about these giants and it's because of them. You know, we got afraid. Um, so why did you choose to listen to the story about the giants and you completely bypassed the grapes? How about that? Like you decided that that's what you wanted to focus on, not the grapes. Interesting. Five. Always remember God's goodness. See, what happened to Israel is that they took God's goodness for granted. So after God frees them from Egypt, which was a miracle unto itself, well, 10 miracles, really, if you count the plagues, and then frees them again from Egypt when they're chasing them, so that's another miracle there. And then the numerous over the desert. So at least count 20 miracles that they saw and they witnessed with their own eyes. They somehow thought that that God, the same God, who got them to there couldn't carry them through there. Well, God got you to here. So what you're saying is that he's not strong enough to get you past here? Explain that to me. How, what kind of logic does that even fall into? Because if it took a miracle to get you here, and it takes a miracle to get you there. The same guy that did the miracle to get you here can get you there. I mean, sounds logical, right? But here's the problem. It's the same question. It's the burning question of that was facing Israel at the border of the promised land. It is the same question that we face in our own lives. It is the same question that we face individually. It is the same question you face as a church. It's the same question. And here's the question. Can I put my trust in God? There are going to be parts of the journey that God is not going to reveal the plan to you. He won't. He won't. Israel thought, well, you know, if we know the way that we have to go up, if we know the cities that we need to conquer, then, you know, now we can go. Look, sometimes you don't want to know. You can't handle the truth. That's one of my favorite movies. You don't want to know. Can I put my trust in God can I put my trust in God when I lose that job can I put my trust in God when I can't find that job can I put my trust in God when my husband or my wife is unfaithful can I put my trust in God in the middle of a divorce Can I put my trust in God when I have an addiction that I can't chase? Can I put my trust in God when my kids are in trouble? 
can I put my trust in God when I have a sickness that he won't heal? Can I put my trust in God when he asked me to walk into the land of the giants? Can I put my trust in God when he doesn't tell me the way? Can I put my trust in God to mend my broken soul? This is the question of life. Will you trust God? Will I trust God? When God asked us to take a journey of faith, it literally implies that we have to trust him. And many of the mistakes that we make uh, in trying to establish and maintain and grow our relationship with God is that somewhere along the journey, we start asking the wrong questions. Somewhere along the journey, we start saying, yeah, God, but I trust you, but In the person of Jesus, the Father deposited all glory, all honor, all power so he could walk this earth, so that he could show us in physical manifestation what it means to trust God in all things. And the Bible tells us that Jesus trusted the Father onto death, even death on a cross. Because he understood even though he had committed no sin, even though he had zero flaws, even though he did not deserve death, he understood that he trusted the Father to complete all things, even if the journey there didn't make any sense. So here's the challenge for you is a challenge for me. I can't tell you what's the area that you've been holding off in complete trust to God. But what I can tell you is the door does not stay open for long. And when God decides to close that door, you got to wait for the next one to open and that may be 40 years later. So as we close today, and your story is similar to Israel, you cried out to God in your slavery, in your brokenness, God sends a deliverer, takes you out of the land of Egypt, walks you through the wilderness, provides you everything you need. And then says, okay, cross over. And you hesitated. If that's your story, then today is the day you climb the mountain and cross over to the promised land. 
If you've been given the God, yeah, yeah, but. But first, then today is your day to reconcile with God. Now, if your story is that you haven't trusted God at all, if you've said, I've lived with too much pain, I don't know what life means. I don't know what it means to be loved. I don't know if anything can ever heal my heart. And the challenge for you is, would you trust Jesus with your life? So as the music plays, I want you to be on your feet. And if this is you today, if any one of those scenarios is you today, we want to pray with you on your step of faith to trust God. If you want prayer from us, you can come to the front. You can pray where you're at. You can do it from your seat. the question, would you trust God? And the answer should always be yes.